just because I have a title, I'm a general manager, I'm a VP of operations, doesn't entitle you that people are just going to bend over and, and backwards and just go through a brick wall for you. You got to earn that. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. Before we get going on this episode, if you find this show and content provides value to you, I'd really appreciate it if you took a few seconds to leave a rating and a review on your podcast app. And if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Both really do help the show get found by new listeners, and we're all about getting more people in on the conversations we're having here. So with that, my guest today is Mitch Patel. He's the president and CEO of Vision Hospitality Group. The company holds a growing portfolio of hotels associated with brands such as Hilton and Marriott, including the company's first boutique hotel, The Edwin in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We used to do after action reports after big events. There were meetings and reports to discuss what happened, what went wrong, and what went right. We'd include several departments and managers to make sure we covered as many bases as possible, then made sure to share the learnings with everyone and have the report available for reference for the next big event. As the summer travel season of 2022 comes to a close and the hospitality industry perhaps takes a moment to breathe after record occupancies and tight staffing, there's now news of another economic storm that could derail its fragile recovery. This episode could be looked at as an after-action report of sorts. Mitch takes us through his company's experience, not just over the past couple of years, but over several previous crises, what they've learned that made them stronger and how they're approaching the litany of challenges that continue to emerge. We touch on finances, consumer behavior, staffing, and most crucially, how company culture is the linchpin to it all. So let's get to it. This is episode 99 of the Proven Principles podcast, Mitch Patel on the next steps for the hotel business. Enjoy. Mitch, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Oh, thank you, Adam, for having me. This has been a long time in the works, too. I'm excited to have this conversation. And uh, it's been a long time in the works because it's just been so busy uh, it, with summer travel and everything that's been going on. I would love to get your take on where are we right now in hospitality? What's the state of the industry from Mitch Patel's perspective? Sure, Adam. Uh, you know, obviously, we went through the most uh, unprecedented, I guess, crisis in the history of our industry just two years ago. So we can't forget about that. Uh, you know, we saw the the worst of our day to day lease business model uh, in March and April of 2020, and then we're seeing some of the best of our day to day lease or the advantages that we have with the day to day leases uh, lease business that we're in today. And so what, what I guess what I just want to say is remarkable how fast we've come back uh, as an industry. And uh, we're exceeding our 19 numbers uh, already. And of course, Star Smith Travel Research has, has come out and said that we will be, as an industry, we'll beat 19. And who would have ever thought that uh, uh, a year, year and a half or two years ago? So a uh, lot of challenges. I think you know that. I just came back, Adam, from a family trip uh, from uh, just just ten days ago from Europe, and labor is impacting every aspect of the travel experience. Uh, right from uh, cancellations of flights to luggage not showing up to a hundred foot to one hundred fifty foot long lines at Starbucks. Uh, so it is prevalent out there, but on the, the plus side, you know, hey, life is precious. We get to travel. We get to, to have these amazing experiences. So uh, it's, uh, it's all good. You know, it could be a lot worse, mm -hmm. right? And I just, yeah. Just, yeah. It was, it definitely was. It feels like things, I, I don't know, I, I have such this a hard time because with, with kind of where we are in this recovery here, because it feels in a lot of respects that things are back. Um, and even just the other day, I think the CDC said that you don't have to quarantine anymore if you've been exposed to, to COVID-19. And so that, that was sort of the last thing, right? To be like, no more quarantine. Okay, so I, could you effectively call the pandemic over? I'm sure smarter people than, than I would argue 
one way or the other, but it feels like we've, we're back. Numbers are back, travel's back, it's very busy. On the other hand, um, we've still got these pervasive staffing challenges out there. Even though the numbers, the, the, the economic numbers indicate that staffing and, and unemployment is at record lows or close to full employment, but, the, but you, in your day-to-day, you don't see that. And I know talking to plenty of hoteliers that it's still really hard to find people. So I'd like, maybe we can unpack that a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're coming out of summer here, traditionally a time when the industry shifts from leisure to more business and group travel before you get into the holidays. As you guys are forecasting through the rest of the year here, prior to summer, business travel and group travel was still, um, certain markets were doing well, but by and large, the country was still having a challenge. Where you guys are sitting right now, looking through the end of the year into 23, because you're in budget season now too, right? right? Uh, how are th- how are things looking as you as, as you come out of this nuttiness of summer? Yeah, as you know, Adam, uh, as, as anyone that's in this business knows, the last couple of years, uh, it's been predominantly leisure travel um, has carried uh, the weight. And the last six weeks or so, uh, it is really encouraging to see our weekday occupancies and weekday rep pars uh, really starting to grow. So we're seeing some double-digit growth on our weekday rep par. Mostly, most of that is rate, but some of it is occupancy, which is great. Uh, and we're seeing some diminishing. Uh, um, you know, we're starting to see some sort of deterioration. It's probably a a word that I'd rather use on for weekend. Uh, and this is compared to last year. So we're not talking about mm-hmm. like August, what's going on August compared to July. We're talking about August to August uh, of last year. So it, it seems like leisure may have reached its peak and that revenge travel is now starting to kind of more normalize. And then the business travel is absolutely starting to pick up. And of course, we're going to get into the group season here. Um, going into September, October, November, which uh, which we're excited about. It's very important to, to have that piece of the business come back. And I and we always say this, Adam. Sometimes people say, "Well, I don't have any meeting space. What do I care about the group business?" You should care because there are many, many other hotels out there, and the big group boxes have sometimes five hundred rooms, thousand rooms. You want them to be full. For to compress the market and obviously help your hotels uh, to to build occupancy and, and revenue and, and and this is really really important as we touch on the BT Traveler um, is we need them back on many levels. One is you talked about the labor challenges that we're having. When I was a general manager, Adam, many years ago, that Homewood Suites. I remember we would be 100% occupied on weekdays and it would be pretty, I'm not going to say the business was ever easy, but it would be calm and it was very manageable. But then weekends, we'd be at 50% occupancy and it was chaos, a zoo, the breakfast, the social, the, the rooms, you know, you had four, five, six people in the room. You got pizza boxes coming out of the, out of our dumpsters would be overfilling on weekends, you know, and, and so it's the same customer at the end of the day. It's just that we behave differently when we're on business by ourselves. We use a corner of the bed and maybe, you know, don't throw hardly anything in the trash can. And then when we go with our families, we're going to behave a little differently. And so it's on that level, I think it's so important to get business travel back because it has been a challenge as you know, with our managers, with our line level employees, our housekeepers, our front desk, and I think some sort of normalcy uh, mm-hmm. in that regard would be would be huge for our industry. That is a really interesting take that I haven't heard anybody talk about. And maybe because it's a little, I like how you presented it, where the people travel differently depending on the style of, the reason for their travel. But We've heard so many anecdotal stories about guests being more difficult, um, and you, you know those are those are always hard to quantify. But you know there, there's a lot of news about these this this stuff, and I know from my own experience, you articulated it very well that weekends are always more difficult. Um, 
than than weekdays. I you know I I wonder if that and maybe this is a good segue into some of the staffing discussions here. Is do you think that a lot of the news about how travelers are traveling these days has been a bit of a barrier to getting people back into the industry and wanting to work there? And it's a clumsy question, but. You know, because I, I, I think there's, a, I, I do think there's a lot of reasons why, but I think this is an interesting factor that nobody's talking about. Well, Adam, uh, there are many reasons why I think uh, people have been reluctant to get back, even in this industry, or even join this industry. Uh, we we've lost some confidence, some trust, right? Uh, and, and and what we had to do, heartbreaking decisions that we had to make, and for lowing millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people in our industry or millions, you could say worldwide. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a, a huge challenge bringing those folks back. Now let's break that down to what you just uh, uh, brought up. No question. I mean, if you are a housekeeper and hundred percent or 95% of those rooms are, are families with children and, and and you know you're packing in four five six people in a room it is much more challenging and i, and I know that for for it because i've lived that i i i i was a manager i helped clean rooms uh with my housekeepers and and it would take many many more minutes um to clean a room with uh, with leisure travelers than business travelers and so, and even check-ins, uh, right, Adam? I mean, uh, business travelers are going to be more apt to kind of use the technology and straight to room and there's no fuss, you know, they're there. Remember, they're just, they're not really looking for an experience necessarily. They're looking for a commodity, right? Uh, I need a, I need shelter. I just need a great, you know, sleep and I need a place to work. I need Wi-Fi. I need some hot, I mean, I need a hot shower, and I'm I'm here not to hang out necessarily. I'm here to conduct my business uh, and what I what I'm here for. Now leisure, uh, you know, we're again same traveler, but we behave differently, and uh, they're they tend to 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 probably stay at the hotel a little bit more. Uh, they probably tend to use the breakfast complimentary breakfast uh, offerings a little bit more if it's a social. The complimentary social offerings a little bit more. They're going to utilize that the whole room a little bit more, suite a little bit more. So, you know, I've never really thought about it in detail um, as much as we're having this conversation about it uh, now. But clearly, I'm not going to tell you there's tons of data out there, but clearly mm -hmm. there's people that would love to have business travel come back, especially our own employees, current employees, as well as prospective employees, uh, as uh, it's just, it, it would be that much easier for them on an already very difficult job that, that, that they're doing. Yeah. I remember uh, earlier this year, I did an episode with somebody who was forecasting how business travel was going to come back. And they talked about it was going to be the salespeople. Yeah. Regardless of industry, it's the salespeople that are going to be on the road first because as soon as they can get out and meet their customers, they're going to do it. And then it'll just be a trickle down effect very slowly coming down from there. And I'll be curious to see how the uh, the STR Smith Travel um, numbers come out for business travel as we move through the rest of the year. Because, you know, I live I live in Seattle. I spend a lot of time on the West Coast and, and uh, you know, I, I do have, have a contact with a lot of people that work in different tech companies here. And, and a lot of their travel on the West Coast isn't happening yet. Um, and so it still feels like we're just going to be in this sort of disjointed recovery. It's going to be very regional still as we move through the year. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see it play out. Absolutely, Adam. I, some of the smaller markets that were in, in the South uh, seemed like the, the pandemic never hit those markets, right? And business travel um, was pretty robust even during even a year year and a half ago um so it's going to be interesting now how the top 25 markets and especially those markets that you just described that those markets uh, have a lot more room to get back to to where we were before and how how much how far they they come back is going to be really interesting and and you you, you brought up uh sales folks uh you know every business our business almost every industry, it's competitive and it's a market share game. 
So those people that uh, those companies where they're having those salespeople going to to visit their clients in person first out of the gate, let's build those relationships back again, are probably going to win. And uh, and and those that are staying kind of put, they're going to see their market share diminish and then they're going to go out there uh, and and try to spend some money on travel. And and, and I'm a I'm on a CEO roundtable, Adam. Uh, and I'm the only hospitality CEO that's on this roundtable. There's logistics companies, there's manufacturing companies, there's insurance companies, CEOs on this. Let me tell you, these CEOs don't just wake up in the morning and say, we want to spend more money on travel and entertainment. Okay. <laughs> They're enjoying these margins these past year and a half, two years. They have enjoyed these margins. This, this pandemic, this crisis has disproportionately impacted our industry. These other industries have flourished. They had record uh, uh, margins uh, because of less people in the offices, uh, less people traveling, less entertainment. Uh, if, all, if all of their competitors are, are not visiting their clients, then they rather have, have it that way as well. But mm -hmm. we all know that that's not what will happen. As soon as right. you are able to, and it's safe to, people are going to go out there and some companies are going to do it first and then others will follow. And so I think that dynamic, Adam, is going to take place uh, because you're going to just, it's just a competitive landscape and, and certain amount of business travel will probably never come back. Now, mm -hmm. Bill Gates says 50%. I disagree. He's a, he's obviously an owner of, of Microsoft meetings. Um, and, but I think that that 10% or so may never come back. I don't know what that number is, but zoom calls and calls like this have changed our lives, you know, and do we really need oh, yeah. to visit in person like we used to before? You know, uh, someone said to me that through the pandemic, Marriott's greatest competitor wasn't another hotel brand. It was Zoom. And <laughs> right. And who would have thought that, you yeah. know, these conversations here that said, if uh, if if you you work for a company that has done a lot of business travel in the past and you haven't seen a hotel sales manager yet, I'm sure they're going to be they're going to be calling you soon because yeah, to your point, we got to get, we got to get this back. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on the past here. I think we're all, you know, we've all lived through the last two years here, but I think it's interesting to talk about vision hospitality's history with respect to the number of different crises that the company has endured over the years and no crisis has impacted hospitality the way that this last one did. And no crisis has ever fueled so much discussion about the changes that need to happen in the industry that we all know what they are by and large but it's this is the time this is this seems to be the catalyst where we're really starting to get some of the uh, the evolution that the industry kind of so badly needs so as we're coming out of the last two years the person at the helm of a big hospitality company how are you guys thinking about this differently and maybe go a level deeper than than just uh, uh, you know the, the typical talking points that we're hearing about uh, you know culture is important yes but everybody says culture is important right. and I, I do want to dive into this with you um, you know leaning into people first all of those things we hear the talking points but translating that into the ground is a different thing so how are you guys approaching this yeah look a couple of things um, you know you mentioned past crisis, uh, I, I like to use analogy of storms, uh, Adam, you know, it's just, you, you got to simplify the, these terms sometimes with, uh, when you have a team that of our size, so people really understand that we're all in it together here. And this is how we're going to navigate through, through these, uh, these storms. So, you know, 2001, a horrible storm, 2008, nine, unprecedented storm hit our industry, uh, the worst since they've been recording statistics. And then 2020, who would have ever thought that back to back, we would have uh, storms of that magnitude, of course. And it wasn't an economic crisis. I keep on saying that it was a medical crisis that disproportionately impacted our industry. And so here, you know, when we use the storm analogy, I often say this, Adam, when 2008-9 came, no one was immune, right, to something uh, of that magnitude. We told 
I, I, I had a plan with our team and said, we're going to build the best brick house that we could absolutely build in the industry. And do you want a straw house or you want a brick house when a storm comes? Mm-hmm. And so we knew that another storm absolutely is going to come. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out, that a storm is going to come. We just didn't know when and how bad it's going to be. So we wanted to be the most prepared that we could. And just like in a, in a real shelter, if you're out there living in the woods or something, you know that it's going to storm. Well, what kind, of, what kind of house do you want? And so what makes a brick house? Adam, and these are the things that we were very conscious and thoughtful on. One, the brands that we want to partner with, the markets that we're in. And I'm not going to dwell into all of these, but on the surface, you know, just talk about it. The debt service. I got to touch on that for a second. It is unfair to put your managers and your employees. And my peers in the industry may get upset about what I'm about to say, but it is unfair to put your teams, your hardworking teams at the property level at a disadvantage when you go out and build something that's way beyond what it should be built for, or you go on and, and, and refinance a hotel way beyond what it probably should be refinanced at. And then now you've got this debt coverage ratio that's very slim. And then guess what? The team's responsibility now is to create certain numbers to support that. And it is a team's responsibility as well as our responsibility to get the best results that we can. But it is also can become unfair, right? And really challenging. And so our debt coverage ratio is really critical. Our debt coverage ratio is well over 2.1, 2.2 as a portfolio, you know? And so we're talking about our debt coverage ratio is half, right? Of what a lot of a lot of banks or a lot of companies minimum would want to see. And uh, so we want to put put the this if the brick house is about what kind of debt that you have, brands, markets like we talked about, but also we talked a little bit about your team. This is a service business on top of a real estate business. So what is that 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 your culture and what does that look like? And are we investing, you know, continuously in our culture? So that's at the brick house. So when that storm came, you know, in 2020, it was, I'm not gonna tell you that that we we flourished and no one did. No one did. But I will tell you that we did, we probably did a better job of navigating through that because of that brick house, you know, than 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 others have. And then there will be another storm, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, here in a minute uh, about what may be looming now in the future. We're starting to see some clouds. Mm -hmm. You know, we're starting to see some clouds start forming, even though it's been rosy the last four, five, six months. We're starting to see that there could be some sort of deterioration and some sort of clouds start forming. So we want to be prepared the best that we can. And that's what we focus on. It's it, it's it's hard to spend a lot of time and energy on things you can't control, Adam. Mm-hmm. Isn't so that we want to spend a lot of time on what we can control. I you just you gave uh, <laughs> I don't know what the right analogy is here, but like you know, you just sort of flung the curtains open uh, to look at the back room here for anybody who works in a hotel that that doesn't know what debt coverage ratio debt service ratio is. Can you explain that? Because I, I want to talk about this for a second, because this is such an important point that just about anybody who works on property will, as soon as we kind of go through this year, it's going to make a lot of sense. It's going to connect a lot of dots. So maybe just start with that. Sure. Yeah. Look, I'll I'll give a brief uh, kind of description of what that is. So, you know, to- there's total revenues, which most people understand. And let's just say hotels doing $2 million in revenue and then there's operating expenses like labor and breakfast costs and supplies and all those things, you know, that of course there's expenses at, at a hotel, predominantly labor is one of the largest ones. And then when all of those expenses, including property taxes, insurance, and all these other expenses uh, are factored in, 
there is a number called NOI, and that's net operating income, and some will call it the EBITDA, right? Uh, and so what that 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 net operating income, let's assume in this case it's 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 a it's a half a million dollars or or more. I mean, it could it, it, just throwing some numbers out. Well, that's not your cash flow. Now, if you have no debt, then that would be your cash flow. But just like a home, a home could be valued at $200,000. It could be free and clear, or it could have debt of $200,000, you know, or even more than what it's valued at, right? And so as you all know, the payments are could be zero, or it could be a pretty significant payment based on the structure that you, you, you have financed your, your house. And so the hotel is the same way. And so let's assume now that your debt is a half a million dollars, then that means you broke even. And that is a 1.0 debt coverage ratio. So debt coverage ratio is NOI divided by your annual debt service. So if your NOI over your debt service ratio is 1.0, then you're breaking even. And most banks will not like that, okay? They don't want to see somebody just breaking even, even though you're paying your debt service. 0.9, you're losing money, right? 1.1, you're making a little bit, but most banks would like to see 1.15 to one and a quarter to give them Mm -hmm. comfort, because remember, these are day-to-day leases. There's no guarantee tomorrow. We saw that in, in the spring of 2020. There's no guarantee business. I don't have signed contracts of for, for, for tons of thousands of room nights. And mm-hmm. so our debt coverage ratio is well over 2.0. You know, so we're yeah. putting our we're creating a we have created a portfolio where we want to give it the best chance for it to be successful. Let's not get too greedy and refinance uh, and over leverage and, 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 you know, our portfolio. Let's be smart with our, our debt. And that's why when these storms come, you know, you get hit pretty hard. In this case, you know, it was a, a major hit. We want to be the best prepared to be somewhat resilient and not all of this pressure about cutting complete labor, cutting complete, uh, uh, you know, expenses, it it's less of a pressure. Uh, I'm not going right. to say it completely goes away, but there's less pressure when a, a company is a little bit more well capitalized. And you're not on the knife's edge. It, it doesn't just take a little breeze to knock you off. And, right. uh, and I may be leading the witness a little bit here in this conversation, but, you know, I, I, I imagine that the a company's the amount of cash that a company has obviously is it allows it to be able to weather a storm better than others. But in your, when we're looking specifically at the last two years and what every just about everybody in the industry dealt with, some companies were able to hang on to team members more so than others or longer than others. Uh, there's there are stories about some hotel companies not laying anybody off um, and just making changes to schedules to lighten a little bit That's of right. the expense load, but. This is the reason, by and large, where they, why they were able to do that. Because if they they could still service the debt on the building, whereas if the expense load was too high and the debt service uh, coverage ratio was was too too thin, uh, at the time they could have lost their hotel, and then everybody would have been without something. That's right, Adam. I mean, the the good news this time around was it the the government realized that this is not these the any anyone's fault here right uh and it, it's a medical crisis which i keep on saying and so there was obviously the ppp uh that is that 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 assistance was tremendous but also they leaned on regulators and lenders and said work with work with these these folks and uh, so there was three month there was six month uh, uh relief in terms of deferrals is what, I mean, you still got to pay these payments. It's just like you have a house and, and they're telling you, okay, you know, we'll, we'll give you a three month break, but we're going to tack it on at the end, you know, of, of, of your term here. And so yeah, it's not forgiven. It's, <laughs> it's yes, just it's not forgiven. <laughs> that, yeah. No, yeah. it wasn't forgiven. It was just deferred uh, mm-hmm. and is what these lenders did. But then at some point, you know, it was, a a layup 
getting the three months. There was a free throw getting six months. And it was like getting a th- trying to get a three-pointer, a half-court shot to get a year. You know what I mean? Hmm. And it was it became very, very difficult. And, and some lenders, they, as soon as they saw the business come back, they said, uh, 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 I know we said the three months or six months, we're going to tack it at the end, but we want you to pay it now. Uh, you know, as now that business is, is come back. So there's certain lenders that did want that before you took, and that makes sense before you took any type of cash flow out of the property, they're saying, no, get get back to to where we were, and then you could take any cash flow out, and and then that makes sense for lenders wanting to do that. So so it was that, that, so those are the things that are going on. But clearly, if your debt coverage ratio is higher, your brands, you know, you're aligning yourself with the best brands in the industry, great markets where we we were in really good markets where we we're diversified uh we still are in those markets where we we're diversified where we had a strong leisure component uh, uh with these in these markets that that held up uh pretty well we were only 7% off of 19 numbers in 21 where the industry was off about 17 18% holy cow we were off about 7% and then, uh, of course, this year, it seems like most everyone is going to rebound back over 19 numbers. Now, remember, the top, the, those, those urban markets, those top 10, 15 markets had a further way to go. So you're going to see them probably grow rep par at a greater rate than probably some of those beach markets and mountain markets and leisure markets that were just robust the last year, year and a half. Uh, so it's yeah. interesting to see how all that plays out. Uh, um, yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I, I think um, we've got a few ways that we could go. You know, I'd, I'd love to maybe just get your take on what the next, you know, with the news headlines and that, that are, that are going on right now. Uh, recession fears. Uh, I mean, you never, I'm assuming in the budget season right now, um, you're not you're not building in a recession uh, forecast into your budget. You always kind of start going best case scenario and then forecast the reality uh, as you move through the year. Um, but yeah, you know, one of the things that struck me over the last couple of years where it's different in the hotel industry from 2008 is that we didn't see the level of of foreclosures, of bankruptcies, of takeovers that that we have in in previous crises, crises that the uh, the industry has been affected by, uh, and you articulated really well why that's the case because of so much loan uh, deferrals, not forgiveness for, for deferrals. But as things are coming out, and maybe the lending atmosphere is getting a like people want to make sure that their uh, lenders want to make sure that they're covered, and they don't want to take over hotels. Like there's just a lot going on in the ether here. Do you see the uh, maybe another shoe dropping in the industry now that we're past this initial bump in travel? So, Adam, uh, and I've I've been saying this for about a year and a half now. Is my biggest fear was I didn't want this medical crisis to turn into an economic crisis. And so remember, we were disproportionately impacted, uh, our industry. And so we, in 2001 and 2008, nine, those were clearly economic crisis. And, uh, and so the economy, the general economy, you know, besides that little blip that we had in the first uh, couple of months of March, April, May, you know, during the, with, with the pandemic, you know, the market kind of tanked and then it kind of just rebounded back, right? Uh, and so most people, their net worth is in two places. It's in their homes and the market. And so consumer confidence is very important, right? And especially in what we, the travel travel industry and just the economy in general, consumer confidence is so important. So in 2001, 2008, 09, clearly you know what happened and why that impacted consumer confidence. Well, that didn't happen in 2020 and 21. Consumer confidence was an all-time high. So they just, because their, their home values had skyrocketed, the market was, was really strong. 
So if someone's net worth went from $75,000 to $125,000, what does that do, Adam? It gives people confidence. You know, it gives people like the, the, the to, to say, you know what, we'll take that trip to Orlando, which costs thousands of bucks, by the way, and we will buy that uh, car or we will buy that uh, that product or whatever that they're that they're wanting to buy. But then when when someone's net worth goes from 75 or let's say it's at one hundred twenty five thousand and then it's going back to seventy five thousand dollars, then we lose that confidence. And so if you really break it down, I'm not an economist, but if you really break it down, simplify it to those two things, well, it clearly paints a picture of where we think we might be going. So home values are now tapering off. You know, you, you used to have seven, eight, 10 bidders, you know, uh, sight unseen, you know, offers, you know, going on in homes uh, all over the country buying homes at above uh, asking price, well, that's definitely tapered quite a bit. And then you have uh, uh, the market. The market's been very volatile, down, of course, considerably uh, from the beginning of the year. So it's going to be interesting to see what how those things impact consumer confidence. And then we're already, you know, people said, well, gasoline prices uh, do are not, economists have said, the, the, the price of gasoline is not directly proportional to travel demand. And, uh, and, and, and that's what economists have, have said over and over, and they've showed the data behind it to, 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 to back that up. But if your gasoline cost X amount more, your rent went up X amount more, you know, your your groceries went up X amount more. You know, everything that you're buying has gone up more. And then you look at your 401k, you know, and that's gone down. Then obviously people are going to start pulling back. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just going to happen. And and I think so the leisure, that's why we're seeing some sort of softening in leisure. Cause I know for a fact that people have, because uh, I have friends that have done this, where they've canceled a trip to Vegas because they they were shocked at what the airline tickets uh, were were to go to Vegas and what mm-hmm. other costs, rental car or or you know hotel rooms were costing, and they said, you know what, I think we're going to hold off. And so you're seeing people starting to do that on the leisure front. And, and there is a certain amount of savings. This country, what's great about this country is we love to spend. <laughs> and, 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 you know, <laughs> yep. it, it's great because we're, you know, we're selling, we're selling a service and, uh, and we want people to spend money and, uh, and, and buy travel. And so there was a tremendous amount of savings that, were incurred during the pandemic, right? With some government, uh, there's so much liquidity uh, in people's hands due to the stimulus uh, money and so forth. And and people, there people were they didn't have the opportunity to spend as much, right? Uh, when you're right. when you're at in your home, going out to eat or traveling or and so forth. And not everybody buys things online. Right. I mean, people have to physically go to stores to buy things as well. So clearly, you know, it was uh, an opportunity when the pandemic, you know, when people started feeling safe and comfortable, they would they were going out and spending more money. And and so now that savings that was built up is diminishing ever so slowly as well. So it's a combination of a lot of those things, Adam, that I think at some point we're going to see some sort of of correction and uh and and it and I don't know what that exactly looks like I mean it could mm-hmm. be uh end of this year it could be sometime the first half of next year uh but clearly the 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 feds you know with the raising of the interest rates are trying to control inflation and in order to do that you've got to you've got to really uh create some sort of correction and demand of, of people purchasing uh, products mm-hmm. and services, right? And so yeah. it's, 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 so because supply, let, let, let's be clear on how inflation, 
how we got to this. It's the pandemic. The pandemic created labor challenges, and the labor challenges created obviously inventory challenges. And inventory challenges have uh, the limited inventory that we've had, has and the demand that we've had, which I just described as a combination of those two, have created pricing that we haven't seen in in forty years, right? And yeah. so. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that now start, and we're already seeing it taper. Uh, so it is working those policies uh, to some degree. So we're going to see what that looks like in the in the six the next next six months to twelve months. It's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I want to get your um, or maybe switch the the, the conversation to staffing and culture a little bit. Sure. And and you were kind enough to send me the culture book uh, for Vision Hospitality. I've got it right here. And I, I actually, I've got it open to this part here where we used to talk about um, when I worked uh, on property for uh, for Fairmont, it was about having the right people. It, it, was, it started with having the right people on the right bus and it eventually became the right people in the right seat on the right bus. And, and you guys say something similar with squirrels in the trees and sure. fish in the seas. Um, and I, I love this because it's it, it having, and I can tell you from experience, when you find your right place, uh, you know, in the under the roof of your hotel, and there are so many career options, so many places that you could go, it changes your level of uh, uh, not just commitment to the job, but your. I think it changes your ability to absorb and internalize the culture at the same time. Because you're doing the thing that you love, That's right. is that? And I don't really know what the question is here, other than we've got you know obviously there's anecdotal evidence of a lot of jobs open, not a lot of people applying for them, um, jobs and job tasks starting to change, automation is becoming a thing. So as you're sitting, you know, amongst your your you know, C-suite executives and, and people around the board table and vision. How are you guys thinking about all of these new factors that are going into making sure that your team is engaged, the people that are there, while, while recognizing the realities of the industry and where things are going, but also we got to get new people in at right. the same time. And they've got, then they're coming into a different industry than the people that are already on site have been working in for X number of years. So there's a lot, it's it's very complicated and I kind of view it as like an accordion almost. It's just sort of flexing and coming back again. And um, yeah, I'd love to get your take on this because very clearly culture in your organization is a number one priority. A absolutely, Adam. I mean, it's a, it's a people business first and foremost, that's step number one, you know, the belief that this is a people business over a real estate business. And that's what we, we, we believe with all our, our heart. Uh, so a couple of things there, just kind of unpack that question a little bit. Uh, one, you know, you mentioned, you know, this, this squirrel in the tree and the fish in the sea. So a lot of what I wrote in that book and a lot of what we do in this organization is based on my personal experiences, you know? And so I grew up in this business, but because I grew up in the business, that's the last thing I want to do is pursue it as a career. And so I became an engineer and uh, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't love it. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm very blessed after three years of doing that, that uh, I, I, I wound up finding this business or, or found this business again, I should say, uh, but in a whole different way. And I found my passion where I never expected to. And so when you have a passion for something, you're just going to work harder, will overcome obstacles, and will find success. And we talk about work-life balance. But if work is not work, there's nothing to balance, and it's just life, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm living life. And so I want others to just live life uh, in our organization. And not just it's a job, right? Uh, and and it's it's... It's something way beyond that. And I really believe a lot of people are like me. They're not, we're all human beings. We're all very similar in many ways. But we're also different in terms of that squirrel in the tree analogy. You know, there are people that were that love, love engineering. So they're the fish in the sea, you know, but I was that squirrel in the water, you know, unhappy. 
And but there are people that are absolutely very happy doing what then they would probably hate the hospitality industry. And so we spend a lot of time, number one, finding people with the right attitudes, the positive attitudes, right? It's not easy to find those folks, but even yeah. in, a, in a market right now, we're just trying to find bodies. <laughs> and But we want to find, we want people to have a positive attitude, even if they don't have any experience uh, in this business or in this industry, a positive attitude can't, is something you can't teach, right? You just can't teach. But there's so many things that we can teach. And we have a very robust training platforms, you know, in our organization. And uh, so, and then this is the second piece is make sure what people have different strengths and weaknesses, as I just described, make sure that uh, we're placing people in the position where they have the best chance to succeed, right? And we're playing off their strengths necessarily, not their weakness. I'm right-handed, Adam. You could teach me all you want to throw a ball with my left hand, but I'm going to be mediocre. So I'm never going to be happy if I'm mediocre and I'm not comfortable doing something. Get somebody else that's left-handed and let me flourish with my right hand, right? Yeah. And yeah. so we want to make sure. So we spend a lot of time making sure that do we have the right person, the right position for them to be successful? Because no matter how much training I provide them, you know, it's not going to work if they're just not if they're if we're if they're just not inherently happy doing something uh, like that. And so we and then the the third piece, and I think is the most important. I even got to the most important piece, and that is you may have the right person that the right attitude and the right position, but you got to take care of them. You know, we talk about leading with your heart. You know, in this organization. You know, people are, everyone's born with an emotional register, Adam, you know, and what, what, what do we often want to do? It happens every day. We want to make withdrawals before making deposits. When I was that engineer and I got my first job coming out of college, I remember my boss gave me a stack, a stack of, of binders and papers and said, all right, go at it. I'm like going, Wow. That was it. And so we, you know, I always tell my team, truly get to know um, that, 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 that person. Remember, you were in that position at one time. You were nervous. You were a little scared. It was intimidating. Use the golden rule at every chance you get. And take that person to lunch. Take the time. The GM should take the time to take that housekeeper, that front desk person like get to know them get to know not just their names but get to know their families what do they like to eat their dog you know their their kids their hobbies you know really really get to know that individual make those deposits in people's emotional registers every chance that you get and make it authentic and real and personal and and when you could do that now what you have is you've got you're full of deposits and guess what when you build respect and admiration, amazing things happen. Just because I have a title, I'm a general manager, I'm a VP of operations, doesn't entitle you that people are just going to bend over and, and backwards and just go through a brick wall for you. You got to earn that. So our best leaders are when people tell me that I will do anything for Mary or I'll do anything for, for John, you know? And they don't just say that because they're, they're that Mary or John is their boss. They're saying that because they've truly Mary and John has earned that respect and admiration, right? And so that's really there's so much more there, but that's what we focus on every day. And and there that it's it has to be you have to work on it every day. Every day, if you take your eye off the ball, the the it, the culture it's it's like a it's a living breathing you know, organism, you got to water, you got to prune it, you got to, you got to weed it, you know, you got to fertilize it. And if you don't, it will whittle, you know, it will whittle. And so it's something that, that we work on every single day. And I'm proud of, of the, of the culture that we have in this organization. And, uh, but uh, again, if we want those, I, in these last few minutes, did I once mention the guest? No, not one time. Yeah. No. So it's all about our people. 
And then a happy and engaged team, you're going to have happy, engaged customers, right? And totally. Get. Yep. 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 You will. You will. And then I think as we start to see that, that mindset shift, that perspective shift in the industry at large, um, you know, I can, I can only hope that, that we're going to be able to get the next round of, uh, of, of really great young hoteliers into the industry and, and push this industry uh, to places that none of us are even thinking about right now. Uh, and maybe, uh, maybe that would be uh, episode number two, uh, with you, if you'd like to come back on sometime in the future, give, uh, you know, give us your, your thoughts on that. I, 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 would, I would love to Adam. Yeah. Appreciate it. Mitch, um, I, uh, I think this has been a really fun conversation and I could honestly talk with you for hours, but I know you're busy and you got a, a day to get back to here. But if anybody wants to learn more about you, about Vision Hospitality, where should they go? Well, they could go on our website at uh, VHG, that's Vision Hospitality Group, VHG Hotels with an S.com. That's our website. Uh, and, and our operating company, we separated our management company from the parent company, it's Humanist Hospitality. So you go into humanisthospitality.com. That's our operating company. And so feel free to go on our website. So learn everything about our company. It's probably the easiest way. And uh, But uh, yeah, look, uh, we look forward to engaging uh, with, uh, with, with people out there in this industry. We've learned so much from so many over the years, and we're glad to to assist in any way that we can. This is a incredible business in that aspect. In 2020, when the pandemic hit, I can't tell you how many companies came together to learn from each other, to share information from each other and really help and support each other. And, uh, and I will never forget that as well. And, and I wanna say one thing, Adam, is, is you know, as you talked about people coming into this industry, we, we are paying more than we have ever before. And I am so glad and this is the owner saying that 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 we're doing that as an industry. It's hard work, uh, and and they deserve our the people in this industry deserve more. And I'm glad that we're paying more. And I'm glad that our benefits are better than they have ever been before. I'm glad that there's some flexibility. And I just want to say there's tremendous career opportunities today than there ever was before. You know, we have housekeepers that are general managers of our hotels, you know, and, and it could happen quickly. It doesn't have to take 10 years to get there. You know, this is a industry where you can move quickly. If you have the positive attitude and the willingness to, to learn and, and you have, you're in the right place, you know, with the right organization, with the right culture and the growth opportunities that, that present itself. It's amazing what you could do in this industry. So give us a chance, uh, and uh, I think that there's uh, that this industry is absolutely absolutely sustainable. And the next five ten years, amazing! I really believe amazing things are going to come out uh, uh, with what we're all doing together. Impeccably said. Thank you <laughs> and inspiring. I hope some people get people out there onto your uh, your job board and, and looking for uh, for some some jobs uh some positions so mitch again thank you so much for being on the show and i'll talk to you soon absolutely thank you adam this was my episode with mitch patel you can learn more about him and vision hospitality group at vhghotels.com thanks so much for listening to the show this week if you're not a subscriber to the podcast please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts for past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at the Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.